Hello and welcome back to Millennial Mental Health. This is Stephanie Conter O'Hara, licensed professional counselor, and today I have with me Michael Conter. Uh, Michael, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, Stephanie. Hello, my name is Michael Conter. I am a professional middle grade writer who graduated from the University of South Florida in 2015. I have been in the business for five years now. I expect to publish my first novel in 2022. As Stephanie said, I am her younger brother and served as a script editor for her YouTube channel. Okay, well, thank you so much for participating in this today. Hopefully we can talk about things that will either inspire people or make people think. Um, So we're actually talking about how 2020 uh, specifically has impacted mental health. So I'll just start off with the first question that I have here. Mental health has been something that people have been talking about more and more over the past five years or so. What do you think has that has added to the conversation as far as 2020 goes and everything that we experienced in 2020? I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that 2020 shook the world to its core. Between the wildfires in Australia, COVID-19, record high in hurricanes, the wildfires in California, and so much more, last year was a disaster disaster for millions of people. Worse, the consequences of the pandemic will haunt the world for years to come. I believe that the collective mental health of many people will suffer for it. Let's take the quarantine, for example. Yes, it's necessary for people to lock down and stay away from each other. It is uh, potentially deadly to do otherwise. However, we humans are creatures by, are social creatures by nature who thrive in each other's presence. Technologies like Zoom and Skype lessen the burden, but many people are isolated and live in fear of catching this virus. Much like someone trapped in solitary confinement, people are getting stir crazy. Whether someone is a social butterfly or an introvert, People are bound to grow to grow lonely and desperate um, um, from a lack of socializing. As such, it's no surprise that the mental health of many people has dropped. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you see an upturn in patients this this last year, Stephanie? Yeah, I definitely think that there was an increased need for mental health in 2020. Like you said, there were so many things that happened and so many things that I think took people by surprise in 2020. So just dealing with the transition of the world, transition of relationships from living at home or not being able to see your friends as often or loved ones over, you know, holidays due to fear of maybe giving your grandmother COVID or, you know, someone that's immune compromised um, COVID. So I think that a lot of things really rose up in people in 2020, which caused them to seek out more mental health care, which is awesome. However, there's still so many people that I think struggle to reach out for mental health. And we saw an increase in opiate use and eating disorder relapse, um, suicides increased, uh, abuse in the home increased. There's a lot of statistics to, to show that Unfortunately, the need for mental health care wasn't met as quickly as it needed to be. Um, And that could just be because of the stigma or lack of resources for people to reach out. I hope that as time goes on, we're 
bridging that divide between not being able to afford mental health care or not feel like mental health care is needed in order to help overcome issues of everyday life. A lot of people have this idea of, oh, I could just like pull myself up or I just need to talk to my best friend about it. But sometimes it needs more than that. And I hope that over time, the stigma of mental health treatment decreases so we can help save some of these people that suffer from serious mental health issues like substance abuse or eating disorders or suicidal um, tendencies. Agreed. And in a similar vein, I think that uh, many young children's lives have radically uh, changed due to this uh, pandemic. Uh, for, a, for a creative writer such as me, I don't, don't really leave the house that much to do my job. So the impact on an adult like myself is limited. However, for a child whose time at school and interactions with their friends has drastically reduced, uh, the pandemic has higher consequences. Uh, for sure. I've been actually listening to um, another podcast called The Armchair Expert, and they had a guest on there who is a, a sociology researcher from Stanford named Jamal, and last name, I'm horrible at pronouncing last names, but it starts with the Z. Let me bring it up here and make sure I don't butcher it. Um the, the very fact that you are trying to pronounce his name right, I think, <laughs> says uh, it, it shows that you are willing to go above and beyond. <laughs> I appreciate well, that. Well, well, actually, you're trying to pay, pay proper respects to him. His name is Jamil Zaki, J-A-M-I-L, last name Z-A-K-I. But he's studying like empathy and the impact of this isolation and quarantine has on empathy. Oftentimes empathy is built when people have direct connections with others and can see how another person is living their life or see their personal narrative. And when we're all staying at home and we have these screens blocking us from experiencing a person's presence in real life, like it can have a real impact on um, being able to experience empathy for another person, both emotional and cognitive empathy. So hopefully soon enough, we won't have to be just behind computer screens, but inside of classrooms and inside of, you know, dining rooms and go to concerts and all the things that really bring people together, uh, holidays, just so to bring back some like connection and empathy, because I think when we lack empathy, we see nothing but our differences, which I think has caused like a huge issue in America, this like polarization of ideas. And part of that has been nurtured and fostered by this isolation that we're experiencing. If we can't see how our brother or our neighbor or whoever is suffering, then it's out of sight, out of mind. So it's difficult to have empathy for that person. So I guess my hope is once we can all see each other and be with each other, empathy um, amongst our neighbors will increase. And that's kind of what he's been um, researching and talking about. Yes, you bring up a lot of good points there. And uh, I do think that 2020 in it's, 2020 is a double-edged sword in that like, there has been a lot of suffering, a lot of pain in 2020, but I think that it helped contribute to the 
rising awareness of mental health. Uh, people are more aware now than ever of how fragile our lives can be, how we need to care for not just the economy or our loved ones by ourselves. We need to take our mental health seriously or, el or else this self-neglect will eat away at us and reduce our ability to cope with stress in the future. Uh, that, yeah, way, sure. yeah, that way we can prepare for the mental and emotional backlash of COVID in not, just, in not just the present, but in our future as well. Yeah. Speaking of that, like, where do you see information for mental health available as, you know, someone who's not in the field? I imagine there's probably different um, resources that you might see either less frequently or more frequently than perhaps myself. So do you think resources have expanded um, um, during the pandemic or have decreased? Like, what is your experience? Well, I do imagine that is also based on regions like uh, which centers and which states pr provide more uh, resources for mental health. Uh, as you know, I live in Florida and I, I don't especially see too many resources publicly for mental health. Um, usually if I want to find any resource, resources like that, I have to go online. And but let's say I'm, I am perusing the internet looking for a therapist in my local area. Uh, if I did that, many of their times and availabilities have changed. And in some cases, their offices, offices are entirely shut down. Some therapists are fully booked due to the rise in patient care, uh, which could leave someone in a mental, with a mental condition without the care they need. Um, for example, say I developed some signs of depression, I might not be able to receive the care until availability opened up. And unfortunately, the need for the for this counseling is rising faster than the uh, than the mental health community can um, pro provide for it. Yeah, I think there was a study that came out recently, and I can't unfortunately tell you who did the study, so I apologize for not being able to give you the specifics on this, but they're predicting that by 2025, there'll be such a lack of therapists that wait lists in order to, to get into treatment could be upwards of six months. So I hope we don't get to that point. Hopefully more people will decide to enter the, the field of mental health in order to meet that need. Of course, there's lots of issues with the mental health field as far as insurance reimbursement and um, quality of treatment of mental health care providers isn't super high in the field. Um, oftentimes they have to take very low paying jobs in order to serve the community. But hopefully all of those things can continue to be worked on and we'll be able to meet the need that will arise in the next four years. Like that's a pretty quick turnaround. 2025 isn't as far away as we might think it is. And unfortunately the need for therapy is just going to exponentially increase in that time. So hopefully the resources can continue to grow. I know by being able to go online, we're able to serve more people in more rural areas and still provide treatment to people who wanted to stay isolated in this pandemic, but I still think we can innovate and create even more accessible ways for people to get the treatment that they need and not make mental health care a luxury, but something that we provide to everybody and that everyone can afford and everyone can um, obtain. 
in their busy lives and with their financial budgets. Uh, yes, I do believe you found success in providing online services, right, Steph? I mean, I'm sure there was an adjustment period as you and your patients figure out what methods and tools work best for you. But after all, I imagine things grew more comfortable for you, right? Yes, we. I have a team of like nine therapists, nine clinicians, and we have been serving people online this entire time, um, since March at least. So, you know, I think a lot of therapists have taken this um, time as a way to push themselves to, to grow and to, to pivot. Hopefully, I think, you know, I know other people in other fields have done the same thing in order to make things work. But I, I guess I hope this advent of telehealth and online therapy allows things like regulations and laws to change and maybe nationalize the licensure for mental health so people in other states can be seen by people online. Um, more people can be licensed and provide treatment to people. I'm not saying we need it to be like super easy for someone to get licensed because obviously we want high quality providers. But if someone's licensed in the state of Colorado, it would be great if they could also be licensed in the state of like New York or New Hampshire and be able to provide treatment to people when certain areas probably have less providers available to them. And it doesn't seem like demographics and or geographics should be a barrier to treatment. But right now it is, unfortunately. Uh, yes. Uh, without violating his privacy, I have a friend who has a social anxiety disorder and he lives here in Florida, but I obviously wouldn't be able to recommend him to you due to these region locks. So, uh, so he's limited to the um, therapists in our area. Yes. Which, you know, is not a horrible thing, but again, if we want to increase accessibility, sometimes these barriers that we have in place are just inhibiting um, treatment. Um, and I do believe that, I mean, as a as a mental therapist, you are able to talk to people directly about their feelings, but I believe other types of therapists have been affected as well. For example, I know that physical therapists are having a difficult time since they work side by side with patients who are already at well, are, are, who are already unwell and who are at a higher risk of catching COVID. Uh, while it's not strictly the job of a physical therapist to provide in-depth mental care like you do, uh, they still provide emotional support that can improve a patient's mental health. And as we, we all may know, by encouraging someone's mental health, their physical health can increase. Um, but due to the risks, uh, however, many mental therapists have been fired across the country and patients are losing resources because of it. Yeah, I definitely think mental health should be talked about at every level of care, whether it's, you know, physical therapists mentioning the importance of like meditation and breathing in order to increase um, wellness or a cardiovascular surgeon or regular doctor, you know, encouraging coping skills to manage stress, not just medication to decrease blood pressure. There's so many benefits of mental health that I feel like every single healthcare provider and, you know, teacher and boss and everyone should be talking about mental health because if your mental wellness is optimized and is cared for, like we have more production um, at work, we have more 
our health premiums could perhaps decrease because everyone is doing preventative care, which can be much more affordable than, you know, caring for someone once they're chronically ill. Um, I could go on a soapbox about about that probably for an entire podcast. Um, But I do think that things can change and hopefully things will change in order to promote mental health. And I think 2020 has really shown us how valuable taking care of people's mental health really is. Agreed. And well, I mean, me personally, I would be content to listen to you go on for hours on hours on your soapbox, but, (laughs) but, 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 uh, yes, I'm, I'm, uh, sure there's a lot more that we can be doing right now. Yeah, for sure. So I guess I'll ask my next question. Um, how has society's issues impacted mental health in the average millennial, in your opinion? Um, have you seen it impact other generations in different ways as well? <laughs> well, that's a pretty broad question, I won't lie. Uh, it's hard to know where to start, but I'll try to keep it simple. Um, I think that with millennials like us, we're more aware of society's issues than previous generations. We are the generation that is inheriting our parents' legacy, but we're doing it at a time in human history when we're more interconnected than ever. Between television, the radio, and the internet, millennials can learn about national disasters halfway across the world, the history of their government's corruption, and and, uh, the natural world in ways that were limited just a few decades ago. We live in a globalized world, and for better or worse, humanity's influence on, our, on the planet grows by the day. However, this broad access to information carries the risk of, uh, over, of overwhelming someone. I could learn about 10 reasons to uh, lose faith in humanity by noon just by perusing Wikipedia, but, but uh, and still have time to eat lunch. It's uh, very easy to sink into despair and embrace nihilism. Empathy exhaustion is a real thing. When someone focuses on too, mu- on too many problems at once, they can feel overwhelmed by the situation and shut down to protect themselves. Uh, from, this is, uh, from this, apathy is followed in a sense of hopelessness, which I think is a problem that many millennials experience. In the face of global crises like COVID and climate change, uh, there's no where there are no easy solutions, and the problem will exist even even if we threw ourselves wholeheartedly at the problem. People can withdraw from the world. Uh, that's why I think uh, many baby boomers claim that millennials like us don't care about anything or that we're lazy. Uh, however, <laughs> well, I think I'm going on that. My answer isn't quite simple. Uh, this is just my my long-winded way of saying that society's issues impact the average uh, millennial's mental health pretty heavily. And like, for example, when I was in high school, I researched topics like racism, homophobia, and genocide more closely than my textbooks ever did. Uh, uh, what I learned catapulted 16-year-old me into a depressive episode that lasted most of my teenage years. And puberty really didn't help me there. Uh, and overall, it's, it, it did send me down a dark path that took me a while to pull myself out, um, out from. However, despite everything, I think it's essential uh, to the mental health of millennials to maintain hope. 
yes, we're inheriting a world that's been broken by our ancestors, and over the next hundred years or so, humanity will be tested in ways we've never ex experienced before. However, we must remain strong. We must find ways to cope, to survive, to find purpose in this world. Whether we find that purpose in friends, family, religion, social causes, the sciences, sports, what have you, it's vital that we find a reason to move forward. That's the only way we can fix this society's issues, by building solidarity and encouraging each other to keep trying, to keep fighting, to find joy and wonder and majesty in this beautiful world of ours. I, I really have gone a bit overboard. I do hope I <laughs> haven't strayed off the topic too much. <laughs> I think what I'm really hearing from you is the advent of technology like the internet and globalization have impacted our generation differently than perhaps like our parents' generation or previous generations because our knowledge and scope of information is just so vast that we not only feel empathy or have insight into what our neighbor is experiencing, but we have knowledge and information about someone across the country or across the globe is facing. So that easily can increase a person's um, awareness, which could potentially win empathies, maybe like turned up on uh, to 11 on a dial that only goes up to 10, could really make someone depressed or anxious or have other mental health issues um, because everything might feel so like big and create a lot of dread. Whereas perhaps generations like baby boomers, like, yes, there was some globalization there, but they're really worried about like what's happening, like on their front lawns. Um, and, you know, to no fault of their own, but that's what they were experiencing every day. And that's what they knew. Um, so I think it's because of globalization and because of the advent of technology, um, just, we know more things. And so we, I guess, have to think and dive into problems, um, differently. So, yeah, I think that it has impacted our, our mental health in a way that perhaps, um, other generations haven't been impacted. I also do think though, that a lot of good comes out of like globalization and technology because we're also open to other like resources or ideas, you know, meditation and this idea of mindfulness really, you know, came out of Buddhist culture and, you know, in, you know, India and uh, Thailand and areas like that where, you know, baby boomers, like they might like scoff at the idea of like meditation. Like, what is that mindfulness? Like, where did you get that information from? But now that it's like becoming basically like a household word, right? Like this, these ideas and mental health practices are becoming more commonplace because of globalization. I even recently saw that Headspace now has an entire connection with Netflix where you can watch videos on how to meditate. And like, that's, that's great. Such a big platform like Netflix and most Americans I would imagine know what Netflix is, if not have access to Netflix. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that something like that is being offered, delivered right into your home, like is, is pretty fantastic. So I think with everything, there's pros and cons. 
um, to the way that we live our, our lives. It's just about trying to to face the challenges together um, with open minds and open hearts and hopefully also like reap the rewards and benefits from um, the time that we live in as well. Uh, yes, I would uh, say that sounds about right. Um, yeah. Uh, do okay. you have any other questions? Um, let's see. I guess my only other question that I would want to ask is... Okay, so please share with the audience how you feel the pandemic has impacted your life for better or for worse, or perhaps like your mental health for better or for worse. Ah, that's a fairly straightforward question. Well, when COVID picked up steam in March of last year, I was initially concerned as I lost hours at work. Call me selfish, but that was the only thing on my mind at the moment. Uh, since I'm a novelist who hasn't published anything yet, I used, um, I, I used my job to supplement my, um, my payments to my bills. Well, when May rolled around, I was sadly let go, much like a lot of other Americans. Uh, when I was unemployed, I applied to other businesses around my neighborhood. And uh, for years, I've had difficulty getting jobs involving my writing skills. Um, whether it's because there's less demand for a creative writer than a technical writer of my resumes and not the snuff. Either way, I, re I never nailed down a job and I've been un unemployed to this day. However, I, um, however, in order to combat that, I started to focus on, on my online life more. I, I've been able to sell my stories and services, my writing services to people online. And I've been uh, using that, that to help pay the bills. And uh, not only that, but uh, you and I started working on your YouTube channel in this podcast. So I do think there has been some good that's come out of it. And with that, um, I believe I've been able to help maintain my mental health a bit better than others may have. Uh, especially since, well, for example, my average day consists of waking up, spending six to 10 hours writing, um, eating meals and going to sleep. And that sort of schedule gets very repetitive, very fast. Um, but at the same time, I'm able to work on different things on each given day. Um, so I think that that has helped uh, maintain my sanity as well as help me keep me afloat. Yeah, I think if nothing else during this time, like trying to innovate and be creative has really been something that a lot of people have focused on. I had a client actually start a business during this time and he used that expression YOLO, like if you only live once. So mm -hmm. if we're in the middle of this pandemic and, you know, I got laid off from my job, like what's stopping me from starting my own business and pursuing this dream that I've had for such a long time that I felt like I couldn't start because of X, Y, or Z, but now due to being laid off, it's kind of pushed him to, you know, do this thing that he's been wanting to do for so long, just start his own business. You know, and I think obviously 
having routine and a schedule is great for your mental health. So it sounds like you, you kind of found that with committing to writing for six to 10 hours a day, as well as like, you know, have regular sleeping and, and eating habits. I think that's great for anyone's mental health. Unfortunately, not everyone has been able to to experience the, the highs of um, pandemic life. And I guess I would hope that, you know, other stories of perseverance and resilience can inspire people to continue to keep going and to, to not give up. And we all are in this together. And um, I know for me, like I've been basically working from home since March and it's now almost February. So we're 11 months into this and it can get a little lonely and it can get a little isolating, but I do my best to, to connect with people. Um, so it's not easy for anyone. Um, and there's definitely challenges, but I guess I hope that people can continue to feel like inspired to, keep going yes uh, move forward like for example like for example there is this youtube celebrity i follow and in order to uh keep himself busy and still remain productive he uh he took up carpentry and uh so he can work with his hands and not only did he build a few bird feeders but he built a replica of the tardis from the famous um british tv show doctor who he also built this uh, jungle gym for his kids. So not only are his kids uh, getting exercise and uh, entertainment they can get from that, but uh, he's uh, taking new skills. Yeah, for sure. I mean, started this podcast in the middle of a pandemic. It st- you could start anything, you know, and pushing yourself to go outside of your limits and outside of what you're used to could be a great way to make the most out of this. There's always a silver lining and in, in every, you know, dark cloud. And another thing that I think is kind of like a, a silly and fun um, product of technology and is like the amount of memes that have been created during this time <laughs> or the amount of like funny things um, that people have done. You know, I've seen, greeting cards and ornaments about toilet paper, like, and how 2020 has all been about, like, how can I get my hands on toilet paper? Or, you know, Bernie Sanders and those gloves that he was wearing at the inauguration, or, you know, whatever, like so many funny things. So sometimes you have to find joy and gratitude in the smallest of things and in the, sm- in the darkest of times to encourage yourself to, to keep going. So I think that's overall, like what the pandemic has taught us, hopefully is that you can find joy and you can find relief in small everyday things. Since we're not able to do big things like travel or have big gatherings or go to concerts or all of the things that have kind of been either shut down or discouraged during 2020. Yes, I would uh, definitely say that uh, laughter is the best medicine and it really can't help uh, push back the darkness that can uh, creep up on someone during uh, times like this. Yeah, for sure. 
I think I read somewhere too, that like Home Depot stock, like increased astronomically because people have been doing like home renovations and, you know, sometimes doing something like that, like painting your, your room or I don't know, refinishing your cabinets could add a little bit of, uh, you know, freshness and newness and joy into your life. So, you know, do whatever makes you happy is what I say. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I really appreciate you taking time to to talk with me and talk with our audience. Um, And I will catch you all next time. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.